Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today I'm joined by Ralph Rowe Jr., who played an instrumental role during a four-decade NASA career in dramatically reshaping the agency's safety culture to help ensure the successful exploration of the universe. So it's been said that few people have done more in the last 20 years to ensure safe, successful, and increasingly accessible human space flight than you, and that your leadership, technical prowess, and unwavering commitment to safety have really been instrumental in enabling the success of commercial space exploration, along with NASA's return to the moon. So I am delighted to have you on the podcast today, but thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be part of the podcast. Excellent. Well, and your your career is just so impressive. And so you were at NASA for 40 years. And, you know, that's a long time. I, I'm a millennial, so I'm a notorious job hopper. But what made you stay for a successful career at one agency? I think for NASA, the first thing that brings you to NASA is its mission, you know, space exploration or aeronautics research. Very few things out there more exciting than than that. So the mission really brings you to NASA. And then to stay for 40 years, it's really the incredible people that I've got to work with. Extremely talented, but also so hardworking, dedicated, and passionate about that mission. You just want to be part of that team. So that's what really keeps you there, I think, the people. Sure. And yeah, such a cool mission. And I've only heard really great things about the agency from other leaders that I've spoke with. And so one thing that's really important to our listeners when supporting a government agency directly is upward mobility. So tell me about, you know, the longevity of your career. Were you able to move up, pivot through your career journey there? Yeah. So NASA has 10 field centers across the country. So lots of opportunity, especially if you're willing to move to uh, move up and take on greater responsibility. So in my career, I started out at the Kennedy Space Center probably for 16 years. Then I moved to the uh, Johnson Space Center in Houston for four years. And then uh, from there moved to the Langley Research Center after the Columbia accident, and then up to headquarters in Washington, DC. So I think being able to move as we did, by the way, my wife also worked for NASA, we were able to take on roles of greater responsibility because we were so flexible and being able to move. Well, and I know that, especially from our military audience who are maybe already used to moves, um, that's nice to hear that if you are willing to do that, you do have that upward mobility within an agency. And so do you have a favorite location or center that you worked at? Certainly where I started at the Kennedy Space Center is is a favorite, and mainly because that's where everything comes together before you launch, right? So all the hardware gets put together down at the Kennedy Space Center. And then just the experience of the launch itself is something that's, you know, just extraordinary. So I would say that that's kind of my home base. Sure. And in a moment, we'll get to maybe some of your favorite projects that you worked on at NASA. And I'm sure those launches were one of them, like so exciting. 
And so let's first talk about, you know, that quote that I noted at the beginning of our conversation, ensuring safety at this organization. I mean, that's that's really important for some of the work that NASA is doing. So talk a little bit about the work that you did to help ensure that safety that is taking lots of risks for some of this critical research and, you know, exciting work that the agency is doing. Following uh, the Columbia accident, uh, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board felt our safety culture was broken. And so I was given the action by the uh, NASA administrator at the time, Sean O'Keefe, to kind of address that. And so we came up with a concept of providing outside experts outside of the programs to help them solve some of their more difficult problems. So one of the criticisms of the shuttle program at the time of the accident was that they were too insular and they didn't bring people in from the outside to help them with some of their problems. And so having a team that's ready to go in and help a program with one of their more challenging issues was the uh, concept we came up for with the NASA Engineering and Safety Center. And I'm happy to say over the last 20 years, that organization has done over a thousand different safety assessments for all different kinds of programs across NASA and really contributed to much safer and successful missions. Sure. Well, and I feel like that principle could certainly be applied to other agencies and other sort of missions across the national security apparatus, being able to bring in people who maybe don't see a project from that sort of siloed vantage point and are able to think about, you know, quality assurance and testing and what ifs and those hypothetical scenarios. And that's that's a big part of problem solving is being able to think about these potential problems and come up with contingency plans. So within sort of the safety culture that you kind of revamped, what sort of team members were you working on, like job titles and job functions, just to kind of get a view of what the NASA team looked like that you worked with? So this team that we put together, we looked for the leading experts in about a dozen different engineering fields. And then we charged them with creating a network of experts from across the nation, including outside of NASA, in industry and academia. And they used that network to tap uh, experts depending on what problem we were helping a program trying to solve. So It was really that small team of engineering experts from 12 different engineering fields that created the network of experts that we would tap into whenever we had to address a problem. You know, that's certainly a theme that I hear bringing in, you know, agency, industry, academia, even the commercial sector, just to be able to tackle some of those problems. And so let's talk about some of your favorite projects that you worked on at NASA over the years. So when we first started the NASA Engineering Safety Center, we were then thinking about we're going to go back to the moon and what kind of rocket we would need for that. And we didn't have a launch escape system on the shuttle, so we wanted to make sure we had a launch escape system on our new rocket. And we were given the task of developing uh, an alternative design for a launch escape system for Orion. And uh, we had a small team, about 90 folks, And in about 15 months, we were able to go from a design to a flight test of an alternate launch abort system. We called it Max Launch Abort System after Max Faget, who was the original designer of the launch escape system for Apollo. So 
we were really uh it was really a successful short-term project where it was end-to-end -end, got to work with a great group of folks and so that was really one that was very memorable sure and so you talk about the people and that's really what made you stay and you you noted that your wife also worked for nasa did y'all end up meeting at the agency or did you know each other beforehand well, we did. We met at the Kennedy Space Center when she was a co-op for NASA. Oh, that's so exciting. So, yeah, really love the people there. And so all of your work that you've done for the agency is just, like I said, really impressive. And so you're an honoree for the Partnership for Public Service Samuel J. Heyman Service to America Medal, which uh, is, a, is an award that showcases outstanding public servants who improve our lives for the better. And so how does it feel to be in this position? And I know sometimes it's uncomfortable for people when they win awards like this, but uh, how did, did you ever think that you would be in a position of this sort or make such an impact? No, it's an incredible honor to be uh, nominated for this award. And what's really humbling, I think, is that it was my colleagues at NASA took the time to nominate me for this award. This award's outside of NASA, so they had to go through a, an external process and they took the time to do that. So really appreciative of the fact that uh, my colleagues took the time to nominate me. Yeah. Well, again, good people. I, I'm seeing a theme here. And so, you know, many of our listeners, they're either working in the cleared space currently or are people who are interested in national security careers and getting their foot in the door. And so I'd love to hear about, in addition to some of the things you've noted that you just love about NASA, why should listeners maybe think about using their security clearance at a job at, with NASA or just be interested even further with the mission and contributing to um, some of the innovative things coming out of the agency? When I look at the next 10, 15, 20 years at NASA for a young person starting out their career, I think the, the opportunities and the missions that are going to be executed over this next 10, 15, 20 years are, are going to be incredible. Returning to the moon, developing an infrastructure in cislunar space, uh, building a transportation system that's going to take us to Mars, all the precursor missions with robotic spacecraft. Just a tremendous opportunity, I think, for a young person with a clearance that, to have an incredible career on missions that are going to be literally out of this world. So I think that the mission part is obviously should be a driver for anyone. And then, as I said, when you come, you're going to be able to work with incredible teams, incredible people that are super talented in their disciplines. And uh, it's very rewarding. So I have to ask, do you, would you be able to give a timeline in your honest opinion about when we'll be able to travel to the moon? I mean, I, or even Mars. I mean, that's a really interesting prospect. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that, that, is the driver, obviously, is the budget, right? And so from administration to administration, the budget can change and we could be moved in different directions. But I would say by the end of this decade, we're back on the moon and we're, you know, building the infrastructure we need in cislunar space to then develop the transportation system that's going to take us to Mars. So that's what I said. The, the mission is going to be so exciting over this next 10 years. And I think we'll be certainly be on the moon before the end of the 20s. Wow. Uh, it's exciting times. I, I, I have always thought about going to space and just how claustrophobic it almost makes me. 
makes me just to feel like I, 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 I like my feet on the ground. So I'm glad that there are some great people at the agency to do some of this important work. So Ralph, thanks so much for joining me for the podcast today. Ralph was nominated for this wonderful award for the Partnership for Public Service. So I will include all of those links in the show notes. But for more information on NASA and how you can potentially get a job at the agency, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA, the nation's number one cyber defense agency. Today, the agency has grown and evolved, assuring the nation's critical and physical infrastructure is secure, resilient, and reliable. Learn more about CISA career opportunities at www.cisa.gov careers.